weeks, we've been in this series about that out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. This reminder that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So last week we talked about the God of yesterday. And this morning, I want to touch on the God of today. There's something powerful about the consistency and the reliability of Jesus never changing. When everything evolves and everything constantly changing and things are constantly moving, it's important to have one thing that stays the same. One thing to be able to navigate your life. It's like, especially in the, in the days of old when they didn't have uh, you know, all the technology that we have now, you relied on where the sun was. And that would tell you, the sun is always going to rise in the east and it's always going to set in the west. I can bank on that. And so I can tell what direction I need to go in on what's been consistent all my life. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, you can continue to move forward and do the things that God has called you to do because God's not going to all of a sudden change things on you. He's not going to change the rules. He's not going to change the mandates. He's not going to suddenly say, well, now going forward, things are going to be like this. The problem is, People tend to do that. And so what happens is a lot of times is people tend to assume that God evolves like we evolve. But you can't evolve from perfection. It is what it is. It's already at the max of what it is. So God doesn't evolve and God doesn't change because God is consistent. We do that. And so we assume with our own humanistic mindset that God also does that and that somehow God adapts to us rather than we adapting to God. And so what we start to do even within the church world is we start to look at God and we start to assume or think that God views things the way we view things. So all of a sudden, this might have been a sin a hundred years ago, but it's not a sin today. Why? Because culture has changed, but God hasn't. And so we start to associate things that have changed for culture or for society or even just for some parts of the world. And we suddenly assume that now God's going to adapt to that change because we have. But the truth is, God is consistent, and God never changes. So just as a way of introduction, this just humor me for a second. I, I, I want to make sure I get a good consensus of this. And this might seem silly, but I need you to go with me on it, all right? How many in this place enjoy eating chicken wings? Raise your hand. You like chicken wings. Show me. Show me. All right. All right. All right here. Now, two groups of people in this room, okay? And I need to know who you are. Raise your hand if you're a traditional wings order. You order traditional wings. Raise your hand. Put them up high. Put them up high. Awesome. All right. Raise your hands if you're a boneless wing order. You order boneless wings. Okay. Keep them up high. Keep them up high. All right. Good job. All of you are wrong. All of you are ridiculous. Because here's the truth, all right? I need to let you know, by far the superior wing is the traditional wing. And the reason it's the superior wing is because it's the only thing that's an actual wing, right? Birds are not born with chicken nuggets on their sides. <laughs> Okay, even I, I was just imagining that pitch meeting, right? They're just sitting there like, I don't know, we got all this extra white meat. We're not sure what we're going to do with it. It's like, hey, what if we cut it up into like little pieces and we call it boneless wings? And they're like, what are you talking about? It's not even from the wing. We didn't take the bone out of the wing. It's like, they don't, it doesn't matter. They're not going to ask questions. They'll just eat it. And it's like, oh, that, that's a genius. I, we'll call it boneless wings. 
even though it's not a wing. The only thing that's an actual wing is the traditional wing. And so the problem with that notion is now you got people thinking that there's chicken nuggets covered in sauce is somehow wings when really it's just chopped up chicken tenders. But because we've labeled it so, now we even identify it as so. So you say, let's go out for wings and you're ordering chicken nuggets. <laughs> well, why am I saying all that? Well, you know, in the Bible, there's a lot of things that now we have used the name of, wrongfully so, and attached it to things that aren't that. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. See, if Jesus never changes, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever... If he never changes, then none of his attributes, his teachings, or what he does changes. That includes very much so his gospel. The gospel, translated, means good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, grew up a sinless man, both equal parts man and God, gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin, died on the cross, three days later rose from the dead, conquering death one and for all, and enabling you and I to now have a relationship with God because he paid the penalty of our sin. That's good news, right? The good news is somebody paid your debt. Listen, I get happy if somebody ever paid my, my you know, McDonald's thing in the drive-thru. If somebody ahead of me paid my McDonald's meal, I'd be jumping for joy. I'd be like, hallelujah, it's a beautiful day, right? That's like 15 bucks. He paid my sins, right? That has been, that has been done. And it's not just for me, it's for everyone who would believe you have access to that. Now, you receive salvation through faith, not by works, nothing you had to do, but everything Jesus Christ did on the cross. So that whole thing is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then here in Galatians, Paul is addressing the church and and he's bringing up an issue. And if you look at verse 6 through 10, you'll kind of see what it is. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Listen, I need you to know, Paul is not happy when he's writing this letter. Paul is addressing a very, very serious issue. And what's the issue? People are turning away from Jesus. People are turning away from the truth. What's the issue nowadays? Same thing. You have an entire generation, generations, that are turning away from Jesus, believing a different gospel, believing their own interpretations, believing their own truths, believing their own hype, and now they're turning away from Jesus. And what does Paul say? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that not not even that they're turning away, but that it's happening so quickly after receiving the loving mercy of Christ. He paid this immediate debt for you and now all of a sudden you're listening to other people and you're turning away from God. And why are they turning away? Because they started believing a false gospel. They started believing 
things that aren't good news and they're associating it with God. And we're seeing that more and more and more where people, they want to love God, but only on their terms. They want to love Jesus, but they mold Jesus into who they think he should be, not who he's declared himself to be. And so they say, well, my Jesus, I think Jesus would do this. You know, I I know I'm divorcing my husband or my wife, but I just think Jesus would understand because we don't love each other anymore. And I don't see that anywhere in scripture, but we just assume, well, Jesus loves me, so he'll just let me do whatever I want. You don't do that with your kids. Why would he do that with his kids, right? And so we start to pull and associate and, and we start to condone our own sinful life. And in order to appease ourselves and want to continue to do whatever we want to do, we somehow twist it around and say, well, I think God not only understands, but I think God's okay with this. I think Jesus gets it now. You know, we're in a different time period. We're in a different age. I'm sorry. My Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Your sin issues are the same issues we've always had. And what's happening in Galatians here when Paul is writing it about 15 years after his conversion is still really happening today. So there's a few things we need to understand when it comes to the consistency of Jesus and how he's the same today. And number one is this. Thank you. Jesus is still the only way. I'm sorry, this this is hard for a lot of people nowadays to follow. People find this um, offensive. Well, what about that religion? What about this religion? You're not being inclusive and you're not being considerate and you're not being thoughtful and you're not like, oh, oh, listen, I'm sorry. But if there's one way, there's one way. It's not me. I'm not making up the rules. I'm not saying here. And even if I I was, like, the reality is if we have 1,500 different ways, that gets confusing. Jesus made one way. This is the way that you should walk in it. And what is he saying? When, When Paul is addressing the Galatians, he's saying you're following a different way, not the way we taught you, right, that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. And so what's happening a lot of times is people are trying to create alternative routes to heaven, alternative routes to spirituality. They want to bypass Jesus because Jesus comes with all these regulations in their minds and all these, and they don't like what Jesus stands for, but they like the outcome of having a relationship with Jesus. And so what they try to do is say, hey, listen, you can get all that and you don't need Jesus. You can, you can have, a, hey, listen, you can get to heaven as long as you're just a good person and you do good things and you put positive vibes out there. Man, I think, you know, I think we all just get there. And what amazes me is it's always their own personal philosophy with that. It's like, I just think, you know, I think it will. Not grounded on anything, not proved in anything. It's just, I don't know, it just makes sense to me. Well, you're an idiot. And so what makes sense to you shouldn't make sense to all of us, right? Because just God's ways are so far above our own ways. And so when Jesus says, hey, listen, this is the only way, I tend to believe this is the only way that only through Jesus Christ can we receive salvation and this gospel message. Acts chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 says Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay? So it's only by the name of Jesus. It It can't be by the name of Muhammad. It can't be by the name of Buddha. It can't be by the name of any political figure. It can't be by the name of any athlete or any superstar. There is no other name by which we can be saved. And so if you got a problem with that, sounds like it's your problem. That's not God's problem. Like if God already didn't do enough, literally, I just think about this. Salvation for our end, it's so easy. I have to believe and put my faith in the one who saved me. 
I don't have to jump through hoops. I don't have to do 10 years worth of blah, blah, blah. Like, I just have to accept the free gift that was given to me. And still, I'm trying to come up with an alternate route. And so what happens is, is people, they, they try to create different methodologies or different gospels of ways to being able to receive that. And it, again, this has gone on throughout the history of the gospel, throughout the history since Jesus Christ has given his life. People have tried to come up with different things that you had to do or approach in order to receive that. Things that God never set up. That's Paul's issue with the Galatians. And honestly, if you read a lot of Paul's letters, this is a constant issue that he's bringing up. When Jesus Christ saves Paul on his way to Damascus and he knocks him off his horse, he gives Paul a very specific calling. He says, you will be my witness to the Gentiles. A Gentile was anyone who wasn't Jewish, right? So, so Christ came, saved the Jews through Jewish, you know, through the Israelites, and then it opens the door up to everyone, all the people. So anyone who wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. So Peter's goal and, and a lot of the early disciples were focusing on Jewish people, but Paul's specific mandate was for the rest of the world, the Gentiles. So what was happening was as they were establishing these churches in Ephesus and in Corinth and all these areas, you had these people who in their minds had converted to Christianity but from a Jewish background and they didn't like the idea that you could just join the club. And so what they were doing is they were going to these places and they were telling these people, well, if you're going to be God's people, now you got to follow all the rabbinical laws of the Old Testament the same way we did. You got to do it because we got to do it. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law because it was way too expansive for any of us to actually do. He fulfilled the law and then made a way for you and I to receive it through him. And so when they come in, they say, no, no, no. Listen, I know you're 47, but you got to get circumcised. And, and we don't have surgical tools. We're just going to use a little sharp rock from the backyard. I don't know about you. I'd be like, you know what? I mean, I, I might try Buddha. I might try <laughs> Like, like there's, there's some mind switching that's going to happen. And, and really what, what, what they were doing is they were making it more difficult than it was ever intended to be. And so Paul is upset. He's angry. As a matter of fact, when he writes this letter to the Galatian church, if you look, this is the only letter where he doesn't give thanks to God for them. All the other letters, like, oh, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. This one, he's like, you suck right now. And here we're going to address this issue. And we're going to deal with this situation. He's not happy. Why? Because it's a very serious situation. You're following a different gospel. Throughout the ages, we've had people try to do things like that. You have things like the prosperity gospel where, hey, listen, the more money you give, the better position you have in heaven. That's just not true in no way, shape, or form. You can't buy your way into heaven. Right? 30 pieces of silver is not enough. And so we have this idea, and many people have been fooled into giving their entire life savings, their entire fortune, in order to be in right standing with God. People who have given false gospels and false interpretations and, and manipulated and insisted on people within the name of God. And unfortunately, God gets a bad rap for it, but that was never the gospel message. That was a twisted version that somebody used to manipulate a whole group of people. And we need to be careful. We need to be reminded on a regular basis there is no other name under heaven through which we will be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can receive that. Which goes into the second point. Not only is Jesus still the only way, but Jesus is still the truth. And I say the truth 
Because when Paul is addressing the Galatian church, he's telling them you're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. There's this constant battle, now probably more than ever, between the truth and relative truth. Where you, more and more you're having people say, well, you can believe what you want to believe and I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And, and we're getting more and more like, hey, you just let everyone believe whatever they want to believe and who cares, it's none of your business, just let them have it. And I, I just got a problem with that because if you believe a red light means go and I believe a red light means stop, we're going to get into an accident. Like, like a red is stop and green is go. Now if we're in a different country, different rules, I don't know. But here where I'm at, we got to follow that. Like, you can't just be like, well, I don't, growing up, I always knew that red was stop, but I just feel like now green should be stop. And it's like, I don't care how you feel. Like, that's stupid. Like, we're all on the road together, and I don't want you hurting me and killing my children. Like, we have to be on this. This is the way it's set up. And so a lot of times what we do is we don't like God's truth because sometimes God's truth steps on our toes. Sometimes God's truth exposes our sin, exposes our way of thinking. And rather than adopting to God's way, we decide we want to take our own way. And we say, well, that might be true for God, but it's not true for me. Well, God is the author of truth. God is the one who dictates truth. God is truth itself. John chapter 18, verse 36 to 38 Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side truth, I'm sorry, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jewish there and said, I find no basis to charge against him. This is one of the more famous existential crises where Paul or Pilate, who is a part of the Roman officials and he's tasked with charging Jesus. And he's looking and saying, I don't see anything wrong with it. But he's saying, hey, are you a king? People are saying that you're a king. And here's where the mix up is, okay? Jesus never refutes his claim because Jesus knows he is not just the king, but he is the king of kings. But Pilate's idea of a king and many of the Jewish people at the time's idea of a king was very different than the truth of Jesus's kingship. Jesus never denies being a king. He's simply telling Pilate, yes, I am a king, just not how you view kingship, just not how you view the kingdom. And this was a problem for the religious leaders and why they were so adamant on taking him out because Jesus did not look like what they thought the Messiah was supposed to look like. Their thought, their truth was very different than the reality of Jesus. They had this idea in their head that the Messiah would come down and he would overthrow their current oppressors, Rome. Right? Jesus' plans are so far bigger. He's conquering death, not Rome. Rome's light work. He's conquering death. But in their eyes, you're going to come. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to show up on a, on a conquering stallion, not riding in on a mule. You're not going to be born of a virgin in a major. You're going to have this extravagant things that are worthy of a king in their eyes. And so when they associate Jesus, they don't associate him with the king because the truth that they had in their minds doesn't line up with the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. And that's the problem I think we have with a lot of us is when the truth that we want to believe doesn't line up with the reality of the truth of who God is, suddenly we don't want him anymore. We don't love Jesus anymore because, well, now you're standing between me and what I want. 
You mean if I keep doing this, you're going to consider that a sin? I don't consider that a sin. Well, we don't get to dictate what's sin and what's not sin. God does. And so I follow what he says, regardless of how it might offend anybody else, because if it's between offending you and offending my Lord, I'm offending you. Right? And again, I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not going to do things that are outwardly sinful towards you, but I have to stand by my Lord in every way, in every shape, and in every form because I accept whatever God tells me as truth and I accept whatever you tell me as opinion. That might be your opinion, that might be your thought, but I'm here to tell you with all due respect, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not truth. It's just an opinion. It's just a thought. It's just a philosophy that you've created. I remember one time early on when I first became a youth pastor, I was, there was a young man who, he like had mixed like 18 different philosophies together. He had a really weird theology and, uh, you know, we had sat down and we were just having a heart to heart where I'm like, literally I said, why do you even go to a church that doesn't teach what you believe? And I kid you not, his answer was, well, there's not really a church in this part of the world that believes what I believe. And I'm like, buddy, I would question what you believe. <laughs> Because it seems pretty off. <laughs> but again, like, and like most times, a lot of us are stubborn. We want what we want, how we want it. And when somebody else, and I don't know about you, I, I have some family members, I won't name them all, but I have some family members, if you tell them that the wall is blue, they will fight you tooth and nail that it's red. They just have to. And it doesn't even matter. It's, you ever have people that fight you over dumb things that's not even important? And you're halfway through the fight like, I don't even care. Like, why are we still talking about this? But there are some of us that are just adamant that we have to be right. And I need you to know something. You will not outstubborn God. God's like, dude, I'm the author of time. I could do this all day. Like, it, you will not beat me. You will not outstubborn me. See, Jesus is still the same. He's still the same God. He's still the same truth. And here's another thing, if you're taking notes. Jesus is still the author of our faith and life. What do I mean by that? Meaning he gets to dictate things. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority of how we receive eternal life and what that looks like. He's the author of the good news and the gospel. I know we have the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, but those are all inspired by the Holy Spirit. God is still the author of these gospels. He's the author of the good news. He alone determines what is spiritual versus what is cultural. That's a problem I think we've had for eras in churches where we confuse the spiritual with the cultural. And we start to associate things that are really cultural with things that we want to believe are spiritual. Like this is what was happening with the Galatian church, right? He says, hey, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel, if they preach a different kind of gospel, a different kind of good news, right? If anyone preaches a good news that wasn't the one that welcomed you into salvation, there's a curse on them. This is what Paul's asking, right? Paul is literally cursing people out in this situation. And he's saying anyone who preaches a different gospel, even if an angel came from heaven and he spoke something contrary to what Jesus Christ has said, I hope they would be cursed. Amen. Why? Because they're adding things. Like I mentioned what was going on with the people that were saying, hey, well, now you have to follow the rabbinical laws and now you have to be circumcised and now you have to not eat this and not act like that. They kept setting cultural rules, Jewish cultural rules, rules that they've had for eras. And I understand why they were doing that. It doesn't make it right. They're setting cultural rules on new believers. Church, if we're not careful, we end up doing the same thing, sometimes subtly. 
and not even paying attention. And so we get things, you know, oh, I can't believe you put Christmas trees on the platform. Christmas trees are demonic. I'm like, it's just a tree. I don't care. It's not a big deal to me. But no, no, no. You, I can't believe you said you celebrate that and you do that and you guys eat that and you guys. And, and what happens is we start throwing cultural rules. I remember growing up, well, we had a very legalistic mindset to a, certain, to a number of things. And I enjoyed it to a certain extent because I'm a boy. So I remember we, you know, going to church in the middle of January, February. It's negative 30 below. I got like two pairs of pants on, shirts, big old jacket. And my poor sister's walking out with skirts. Had to wear a skirt to church. They had like 18 pairs of leggings on, thank God. But it was just, and I would laugh at them. I'm like, yeah, you're cold. Like, but it was, my dad was like, no, you have to. And so even like now, like all through the years, my parents, and, and I don't knock them. It's just what they grew up with. Like, well, you can't preach. You're not wearing a suit. I was like, well, Jesus didn't wear a suit. I don't even think they invented them. If you want me to be like Jesus, I'll wear sandals and a robe up here, and that'll be even more awkward for you. <laughs> right? Like, it just, we, we get into this mindset where we think, well, no, no, this is how I grew up. Well, just because you grew up that way doesn't mean it was gospel. It might have just been cultural. And listen, not all cultural things are bad. Culture is something that we create. Like we have a culture of helping one another. We have a culture of loving people. We have a culture of being there when you're struggling through something. So not everything that's cultural is bad. But when you start to impose cultural rules on people and call it part of their religious faith, part of the way that they get close to Jesus, now you're starting to mess with the gospel. Because now you're making them think, well, if you don't do this, and again, we're not going to go overboard, right? Like, if, if, if a long-standing member comes to church in a bikini, we might ask you to put something on, right? I'm just going to be like, hey, come on. You know better than that. But I'll be honest with you. If someone just came off the street, I remember one time in Excel, uh, years ago in, in the youth ministry, uh, somebody came, we had an outreach event, and somebody came up to me, like, Pastor Joy, Pastor Joy was a student. There, Pastor Joy, there's this girl, she's sitting on this guy's lap. I go, are they new? It's like, yeah, they've never been here. It's like, all right. What do you want me to do? Kick them out? That's why we asked them to come here. Like, listen, now, if they start doing more, now you come and tell me. But she was sitting on his knee. I was like, she don't know any better. She, she doesn't care. And again, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we have standards and we have regulations. But at the same time, if my standard is what's preventing them from reaching the gospel, because I'm uncomfortable with what they're doing, even though they don't know any better yet, so, you know, I've said it before. I would have people at the end of messages, you know, tell me how, you know, bleeping great it was. And they would usually, oh, Father, that was a great bleeping message. And I'm like, or no, great speech. They always said speech. <laughs> what am I going to do? Hey, thank you, but don't curse in God's house. Why? They don't know any better. Now, if Gary Aliotto said that to me, I'm like, <laughs> come on, Gary. <laughs> He's only said it once, but it was a good sermon that day. It was a good sermon that day. So I don't even blame him. We have to be careful about imposing things like clothing and celebrating certain holidays and, uh, you know, having some of these issues. And I'm not saying we never address those things, but I'm just saying, like, sometimes people are just on a part of their journey. They're not even ready for that yet. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who convicts. That's not your role. Okay, yes, we speak truth, but we don't enforce conviction on somebody. I'm going to tell you the truth, and, and again, I'm not trying to please people. I want to please God, so I will speak truth. 
But I also understand, given enough time, as somebody grows and matures in their walk with Christ, the Holy Spirit will open their eyes to things that need to change and how they need to change and when they need to change. And my responsibility and your responsibility as the church is while they're in that process, we're going to love you through it. While you're working out that salvation, while you're figuring some things out, we're going to love you through that process and we're going to help you. Jesus died on the cross to fulfill the law once and for all so that we who could not live up to that standard can receive salvation through Christ alone. So it wasn't about works. It wasn't about looking a certain way and acting a certain way and earning that responsibility or that gift. No, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's giving us room to figure some of this out. So all I'm asking is, would you give each other some room to figure some things out? Would you give each other some room, especially those that are new to the faith, to begin to figure this out and grow? Listen, there are so many, let's be honest, look back, some of you saints that have been here a while, look back to some of your early years. Thank God there were people who had mercy and grace on us. Thank God there were people like Pastor Carlos who, when I first got hired, he let me learn how to preach. Nobody's born knowing how to do it. He had some notes and he had some thoughts and he would help guide me along the way, but he never stifled it. He never told me I was bad, never once. He would just, hey, here's a good thought, here's a good thing, and then I would grow from it. And in the same way, we help each other out. We can suggest, we can lead, we can love, we can set an example, but we're not gonna drag somebody into doing the things that we think are spiritual, when in reality, so much of that is really just cultural. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12 Verse one through two says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Only Jesus gets to dictate how spirituality works for us, how we get saved, how we grow, how we are sanctified, how we continue to evolve into looking more and more like Christ. He's the one that gets to dictate what he looks like. (laughs) We don't do that. It's not our role. Our role is to love. Our role is to lead. Our role is even to teach. But our role is not to drag somebody's face through the mud until they do the things that we think is appropriate for them to do. Worship team, if you can help me out. I mentioned earlier, this is the only letter we have where Paul failed to start his letter with thanksgiving for the people. And I think many would look at that as being harsh. Right? We've been accustomed to withhold truth in order to be loving. But those two things are not dynamically opposed to each other. You can love someone and speak truth. As a matter of fact, I think you only really love someone if you speak truth. You don't love them by lying to them. I remember um, we were in the car, my wife and I, and um, my, my oldest daughter's in the back. And we really think, I'm not being facetious about this, I really do believe my oldest daughter has a a bit of a prophetic gifting. She just does stuff sometimes. And um, most of you, I think, know, some of you may not know, but we are actually pregnant with our third child. And uh, I think you know. 
If not, you were thinking very wrongly about why my wife's belly is bigger. Um, but I remember when we had just found out, we're figuring some things out, we had you know, gone to the doctor and we're in the car and my daughter's in the back. And again, my wife and I are just talking and I don't know where she goes, mommy, is there a baby in your belly? And we were like, and we were just trying to figure out how to tell her because, you know, kids will tell everybody. So we're like, <gasps> and then she just asked again, she like, mommy, is there a baby in your belly? And my wife's looking and was like, what do I tell her? And she goes, yes, sweetie. And she just goes, okay. And my wife's like, what do you want me to do, lie to her? I'm not going to lie to her. I was like, well, you can't lie to her. And the truth is, we try not to lie to our kids because they'll figure things out. They watch, they know. Because I love them, I don't lie to them. I tell them the truth. When I go on a trip, I tell her, Poppy's about to go on a trip. Are you going to tell people about Jesus? Yes, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. Are you going to bring me a present? Yes, I'm going to bring you a present. Yay, okay. Listen, Paul makes his point at the end. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Here's the reality and why we need to trust that God's never going to change his mind. God is the same. What he said in scripture, he means today. He's not going to change his mind because cultures change. He's not going to adapt because your feelings got hurt. Truth is going to be truth. And it's going to be consistent. And it's going to be forever. And we need that. Paul had an obligation by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. At the end of the day, his main priority is pleasing God. And when these other people began preaching a false gospel and people began walking away, Paul knew he needed to act. See, people would look at Paul cursing these guys, saying, if, if anybody preaches a different gospel, I hope there's a curse on them. He doubles down on it. He says it twice. And some might look at that and go, well, where's the love? Where's the mercy? Where's the grace? And I can understand that to a certain extent. But Paul's urgency was because this lie, this false gospel, this idea that somehow God has changed his mind is causing people to turn away from him. And that we can't risk. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no back door to heaven. There's no back door to God. You can't circumvent the system. You can't, you know, go to church a certain number of times and earn a way around the situation. You can't be a part of a plus one. Well, my mother was a really, really faithful, God-fearing woman. Praise God for your mother. I'm sure she will be in heaven. But she don't get a plus one. That's her faith. That's not your faith. Well, my dad was a pastor. Good for your dad. That means nothing for you. You still have to make your own personal decision on what you believe. Well, I grew up in church. What do you do? You have a cultural basis, but not a spiritual life. It doesn't matter that you grew up in church. I grew up going through school. I haven't got a doctorate. It's not to make me smart just because I went there. Too often, we assume 
was, well, I know Christ. No, 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 you know of him, but you don't have a relationship with him. Right? What did the Bible say? Even the demons know him and tremble at his name. What makes you any different? So it's not enough to know that he's the way. You have to walk in that way. It's not enough to believe in truth. You have to believe that he is truth. It's not enough to want to wanna live a good life. You have to live the life that God has authored and perfected. And so a lot of times we appease ourselves into thinking, well, all these things make me right with God because I grew up in church, because I know about God, because I, I, I said a sinner's prayer once when I was five, because I've done all these things that I, I can appease myself into living a life that is contrary to the good news because after all, I'm a good person. And it would be wrong for me to say, yeah, I think you're okay. The truth is, it's even worse because you've been blinded by another gospel. One that's not good news. One that's not true. The good news is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to heaven. No one can come to God if not through him. So I'm going to ask you to stand tonight or today as we wrap this up. And there's two things that I want us to do. To the first group, the believers in this room, I want you to really reflect on what God is asking of you. Specifically, to not just believe the good news, but to continue to communicate the good news. If it's good news, why don't you share it? If it's good news, why are you relegating the responsibility of sharing the gospel to your pastor? That's not my job alone. That's our job as believers. So you can't tell me we believe the good news, we follow the good news, we stand on the good news, and yet we don't share the good news. That's foolishness. Because what you believe in, you share. What you believe in, you get excited about. So I need you to take a moment and really reflect on that. Do you actually believe this? Do you really believe in the good news? And if you do, then ask yourself this question. Who was the last person you shared that with? Who's the last person you shared the good news to? I'm not saying who's the last person you invited to church. That's easy. That's sending them to me. That's, that's not you sharing the good news. That's you sharing an address. When's the last time you told somebody about the grace and mercy you received through salvation in Christ and how it's changed and affected your life? And my friend, if you can't think of the last time, I challenge you to make the next time soon. Because there's someone that God has orchestrated for you specifically to one day share that news with. And the only thing standing between heaven and hell is the messenger delivering the message. For everyone else, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to hear my voice. If you're in this room and you think your culture has somehow made you right with God, I need you to know that's not true. If you think your belief system that is contrary to what God has spoken in his word has somehow made you right with God, I need you to know that is not true. And if you think because you've grown up in church or, or you've done a number of things back in the past that living today outside of God means you're still all right, I need you to know that's not true. And if you've leaned on any other name outside of Jesus, and I'm not just talking about God's, 
Because sometimes that name is the name of your career. Sometimes that name is the name of money. Sometimes that name is the name of another individual that you have made your God. There is no other name under heaven by which we will be saved. So if you're in this place and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you recognize through this message that what you have been following is not true, and God has opened your eyes to his truth, and now you want to accept in reality and in totality the good news. Then with every head bow, every eye closed between you and God, all I need you to do is lift up your hand, and I'll include you in that prayer. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I want salvation. Thank you. Anyone else says, thank you, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Anyone else says, that's me, Pastor. Come on, don't put off for tomorrow what you need to do today. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Thank you, sir. Thank you, bro. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Church, let's all pray this together. Say, Jesus, Lord, I believe what you say. And I receive that good news as truth, as yours. So I ask you, God, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. I commit myself to you today and forever. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name.